Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there, welcome to the show. You are listening to Beyond Synth. My name is Andy Last, and this is the show where I don't have a catchphrase for the beginning. I don't know why I even started that. (laughs) This is the show where we talk to people who make cool music, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a nice, regular length show today. The past few have been going over three hours, and I, I don't know why... Uh, it just ended up that way. Probably because the Keeping It 80s segment with Marco Merrick was originally designed to be a 20-minute segment and seems to go almost like an hour now. <laughs> so that's part of the problem. And today is no exception. So we're going to do things just like we did last week, a little backwards. Uh, we're going to do the interview conversation first, and then we'll keep it 80s with Marco afterwards because... I think this week I went on some crazy rant and the energy was just so high that it feels weird because the tone of the conversation I had with uh, Funk Fiction is pretty laid back and it would be really weird to lead into a laid back conversation with some crazy uh, high energy. So anyway, uh, yeah, so on the show today is Funk Fiction. Uh, He makes uh, like funky electronic music uh, for video games and stuff. It's... Not a sound I cover all the time on this show, but I thought it would be cool to chat with him. And I think, uh, you know, there's people out there who are going to dig this stuff, and I hope you do. And uh, he was a cool guy. So we'll get to him in just a sec. But first, let's listen to a track. So here's a dude called Adrian Starr, and uh, and he makes his music all with uh, hardware synths, man. He's doing it the old-fashioned way. And he makes uh, some cool uh, new wave tracks. And here's one called Do You, Can You, Will You by Adrian Starr.
That was Adrian Starr with the track Do You, Can You, Will You? And, um, you know, if you go to the SoundCloud page of Beyond Synth, you can check out all the links of the artists we play on the show. And that's what you should do. And uh, go check these people out and, uh, you know, listen to more cool music. So how about this? We're going to keep it nice and regular length show today. So we're going to go right to the Patreon and then we're going to talk to Funk Fiction. So let's go to the Patreon. Alright guys, you know the drill. Beyond Synth has a Patreon. Uh, Patreon is a monthly donation website where you can uh, donate money to Beyond Synth and help us make this show even bigger and better. Tell your friends. About <laughs> but seriously, it's really helpful to uh, keeping the show going. And I would like to thank some of my lovely Patreon Pattersons. So there's my awesome $5 donors. There's Kai, Joe and Lando, Roman, Cunning Corvid, Bobby B, Johnny Turnal, Dougie Fresh, Lame Robot, Florence Bullock, Matthew Lister, Simon Norberg, Nougat Ninja, The Rosconian, Night Raptor, Stu M, Dana Jean Phoenix, Tristan Waits, Rawl Pud, Barons of Santa Carla, Star. 
Starlight Fisher, Timothy Pierce, Corey Valentine, Orlando Rodriguez Neef, Marco Cranendonk, Martin Larby, Facehugger, Brad Neiman, Zychorax, Lee McConnell, Phil Clothier, Halla, Josh Murphy, Ross Pentland, Ethan Hennings, and now it's time for the donation of the Beast. All right, these are the dudes who uh, donate six sixty six a month. A very special number for deviants. This is the donation of the Deviants. There's Josh Conklin, aka Rings. Hellroy, Lucas Ceballos, Blake Peterson, Carm, Straylight, Lonnie Taylor, Till Wild, Ken Giroux, Moose Nux, and of course, Max Hutchings. Yeah, that's right. Keeping evil at bay. And then there's my lovely $10 Pattersons. There's Trevor Resnick, Colin Bennett, Fraser Davidson, Winfield, Will Lowe, Joshua Evison, fucking Slunks, Greg Smith, Ashley Keegan, Tim Walmsley, Mike Shima, Shaboogan, Playmaker Media, Murat Ogute, Elias Garnier, and Polly Digital. And then there's my lovely wacky donation people who, who want to be outside the system and donate weird amounts. All right? And I take notice. All right? There's the lovely Chris Celia Lane. There's the lovely Frank Skinicki. There's Jacob Wick. Are you the lovely Jacob Wick? Maybe you're all the lovelies this week. Uh, There's the lovely Chris Dance, and the lovely Gregorio Franco, and the lovely White Tiger, and the lovely Clint Dowling. And uh, thank you all for your support of Beyond Synth. You guys are cool. All right, so now let's listen to another track, and then we will chat with Funk Fiction. So I think we played a track of Night Stops last week, but this whole album was really good, uh, Dancing Killer. In actual fact, I was going to play this one last week, but then Marco picked a Night Stop song for his Keeping It 80s segment, so I was like, well, I'm not going to play two in the same show. So I'll play it this week. This was a track called Touch of Her Knife by Night Stop.
And that was Night Stop with the track Touch of Her Knife off the album Dancing Killer. And uh, it's a good album. You should check it out. And now, let's go to my conversation with Funk Fiction. All right. Well, I am here with Funk Fiction. Wait, how do you say your actual name? I'm looking at it and I don't know how to say it. It's Pejmon. Pejmon. Yes. All right, I wouldn't have guessed to do it that way, so I'm glad I asked first. <laughs> All good. Well, I didn't know I was going to be like, is this like a silent J situation? Right. No, that's a that's a valid assumption. Because <laughs> what's it? P-E-J-M-A-N. So, Pejman, like that? Yeah, I mean, it's totally spelt like Pejman, but it's pronounced Pejman. Pejman. What's the, the origin of this name? It's an Iranian name. So is that where you are from or your family is from? My family's from there. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, so quite American. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ethnically, I am Persian. Is that how it is? Is like it's Persian? I've never known what Persian really means, other than the well, Prince of Iran, Persia. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> one of our shining mainstream examples. Yes, I suppose today. But um, Persian is. I guess you could say that that's the ethnicity and that the and that Iran is the nationality right Iran is essentially the last remaining land of the Persian Empire because we've had so many empires in the world you know the Roman Empire the Ottoman Empire the Persian Empire and there have been lots of empires and throughout their history they owned a lot of different portions of land that kept contracting and expanding Persia being one of the biggest you know being most of Asia and some of Europe and North Africa at one point, but now it's back down to just Iran. All right, that makes sense. See, this is all stuff I never knew. Yeah. So then were you really happy when you got to see uh, Persia's favorite son, Jake Gyllenhaal, as the Prince of Persia? <laughs> I didn't mind. Honestly, <laughs> there are Persians, believe it or not, that look kind of like Jake Gyllenhaal. We're a very diverse race, I suppose. Mm. You have dark-skinned, dark-eyed Persians, and you have light, fair-skinned, and blue-eyed Persians, too, and both are native to the land. Right. Are you, are you trying to take my outrage away from me here, you know, like, w- <laughs> when I see that this stuff happening, and I want to get mad on other people's behalf, even if they don't care, and so I was, I was completely outraged. If I am, it's not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> I never actually saw the movie. Neither did I. Yeah. I just missed it. (laughs) I think it got bad reviews, so I'm like, I'll save my money. I don't know, because I haven't really played a Prince of Persia in a long time. Like, I really liked when they rebooted it. Yeah, on the Xbox. Yeah, because I I played it on GameCube, but it was the same game. Yeah, same game. And then I quickly was disinterested in that franchise, because they started coming out with a bunch of sequels, and I think I played part two... And then after that, I didn't care anymore. And then it was like this weird one where he was like split and there was like an evil version of him. And and then they rebooted it again. You're echoing my thoughts exactly. I also played a bit of part two and I'm like, this is all right. And then just lost all interest. It's weird. That franchise has just disappeared. But I remember it was like a big deal when it first came back. Yeah. And that rewind power you had, like it was such a cool cool thing. And then it just remember when they rebooted it again. And it was like kind of had like a cell shaded sort of art style. Oh yeah, that's that's right. They did reboot it again. 
And I think at that point, there were too many other games to be paying attention to. Yeah, that's the problem I'm having right now. Yeah, there are way too many games out. No, it's too much stuff because it's the same with Netflix. It's I'm getting bombarded now. And when I just go down like to relax or in the moments <laughs> I do try and relax, I just end up playing games I've already played. Like I'm looking forward to Mario. Like I think Mario is going to be great. But that's the one. That's the one I only want to care about right now. I mean, the last one was Sonic Mania. Yeah, that's kind of all I've been playing in my spare time and then Mario's next. I wish I had more time to play even more games and and you're right about Netflix. <laughs> I think they're spreading themselves way too thin and diluting themselves with just a lot of filler shows. Yeah, I mean it feels that way now. Like I I hear a lot of people say, you know, hey Netflix is killing it and I agree for the shows that I like, but then now I'm starting to pay attention. There is they are funding a lot of I think bad shows as well. Like I mean they they're definitely covering the gamut of things. Yeah. Yeah. My wife likes that fucking full house. I mean, that's not something <laughs> nice. that I care too much about. But, you know, there's some cool things there, too. But it's the same where I just don't focus as much and I don't spend as much time with the shows or the, or the games I play now. Like, when mm-hmm. I think back to when I was a kid, like, there's games that I would play over and over again. Yeah, you would have that one game. <laughs> you just go to sleep with the cartridge. <laughs> yeah, also, too, because, like, I didn't have any money, right? So it's like, you know, I own Perfect Dark, and so I was going to play that game into the ground. And, like... I beat Ocarina of Time probably like a whole bunch of times in my life because I always loved replaying that game. Yeah. And then now I don't do that. Like I'm I'm replaying Grand Theft Auto 5 right now. That's what I've been doing in my relaxation moments. I'm redoing the story mode. Well, that game has a lot of replay value. It's so good. Like yeah. as I'm replaying it going like, oh, this is so this is so good. And you know, like Skyrim and oh, stuff. So there's certain one. games that I have replayed, but for the most part, yeah, I'm just playing them once and just going, yep, there it goes. And I just, you know, trade it in or whatever. <laughs> and so they disappear from my mind. And so Prince of Persia, that's why the, this whole thing started, this conversation. Right. My name. My very Persian name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was it. Because it's one of those games that just disappeared because I played it once. Yeah. And that was it. And it was like, hey, that was a good experience. And then I just never returned to it. And I, and I have to think back and be like, oh, yeah, I did play that game. And I think I beat that game. And I beat that rebooted one. That was like It was like an open world. And there was a girl or something. I think there was a girl. I mean, I guess there's always a girl. But there's I mean, always, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Pejmond, I say it right? Yes. So tell me about uh, Funk Fiction. Well, Funk Fiction is the spiritual successor to Jamiroquai. Are you familiar with Jamiroquai? He's got a big hat. Yeah, he does. He's always uh, historically had a big hat. Yeah, and it's, and it's <laughs> yeah, historically. It's the, the, well, <laughs> with every... They've been around since the early 90s, since 92. Mm. So, wow. Yeah, they've been around for 25 years. And every album, he kind of had a new hat to go with that album. Um, but the one he's very... The Cat in the Hat had that virtual insanity, traveling without moving album, that hit. That was kind of the most iconic one everybody recognizes JK, the lead singer of Jamiroquai, which is a band. Mm. Anyway, they're just my favorite band. They're, they really bring the funk. They're the funkiest, coolest band of all time to in my eyes and to my ears although they they're kind of sitting on the shoulders of giants in terms of funk music and hats yeah and, <laughs> and hats so being that they have had that much of an influence on me i kind of wanted to model my music after them while bringing my more modern electronic tastes into the mix i really also liked daft punk or especially earlier daft punk and that whole french house filtery, funky house sound and kind of melt those two together and 
taken all my video game influences, mostly Sonic and Mario and everything else from that era, and kind of roll it up into the ball that is funk fiction. Funk being the most underlying signature to my music, and that was something I came up with, I think back in 2010. Yeah, seven years ago. You know, I've got so many people I chat with on this show. Uh, normally, I'm dealing mostly with like synthwave type stuff, and then I dabble a bit in like playing like video game style things yeah. and chip tunes and stuff like that. And I was sort of referred to you. There's this dude called Jason, whose last name I've never said out loud before. I think he runs a label you're talking about jason from scarlet i'll do my best i think it's napolitano yeah sure and he and he messages me frequently and he'll be like hey you should check this out and check that out and so uh he sent me your thing the sonic album the new one and i was uh and i was like oh this is kind of cool and this is not stuff i usually sort of cover so i thought this would this would be interesting so when i hear jamiroquai is my favorite group it's a really weird thing hitting my ears because i don't think that sentence is ever like been spoken to me before nice and so i'm going to be processing that for the the rest of this conversation but i mean it's i think we should play some music totally i think i'm mostly just gonna be playing tracks from the album these were soundtracks for fan made sonic games is that correct correct it's it's a collection of songs that you made for a few different projects right and they're all housed in in one place now yeah, me and a group of other composers wrote the soundtrack to two Sonic tribute games. One is called Sonic Before the Sequel, which aptly takes place between Sonic 1 and 2, 2 being the sequel, so it's taking place before the sequel. The other one being called Sonic After the Sequel, taking place between 2 and 3, after the sequel. And uh, their shorthand names are Sonic BTS and Sonic ATS is the second one. I came up with the name Sonic Beats with the lowercase e signifying BTS and ATS all in the word beats uh, because, you know, these tracks are essentially like two-minute beats that loop Mm. a very Sega Genesis format or 16-bit music format, but with modern production. Right. So it's really the 17 songs that are from those games that I wrote, my selection of tracks, because... Those were written by multiple composers, uh, Falk, uh, Andy Tunstall, James Landino, and then later on, uh, uh, Maxi. And so these are just the funk fiction tracks from those two games. And then the 18th one, or which is the first track of the album, is a, a Sonic CD remix I did called Crystal Duration. And yeah, so it's just the one track from uh, an OC remix album of Sonic CD. So those 18 songs are just the all the Sonic tracks I've done over the years. They just deserved a proper release. They were kind of like this small but cult classic following that it had on SoundCloud. And that's all it existed on. And before I move forward releasing all my new music, I wanted to at least give this selection of tracks that are very special to me uh, the proper release it deserves. All right, man. Well, let's listen to one. Cool. Why don't we just listen to Crystal Duration? We just talked about that. So let's fucking uh, check it out. Nice. This is a Crystal Duration by Funk Fiction.
that was Crystal Duration by Funk Fiction. And I'm chatting with Funk Fiction right now. Pejmon. Hey there. Right? Yes. Sorry, I keep... My brain, dude, I'm like so frazzled now. Like, I'm not even doing this to be funny. Like, I, I could forget. Hey, I appreciate the effort. You know, there's people who... They're good at that where, you know, they, they meet people like those serious business type people, yeah. and, you know, like they do like heavy handshakes and look the guy in the eye and be like, Dave, nice to meet you, Dave. Yeah. And I've never been one of those people. And I so quickly will forget people's names, even if they tell them right to my face. And it's not until like I've spent like weeks with them in like a working environment that I finally like get it ingrained. It's totally understandable. But that's a uh, that's my cross to bear. So this was a uh, anyway. This was a this was a cool uh, track here. You got that uh, that funk piano sound going on and some orchestra hits and shit. Yeah, very very reminiscent of Sonic CD for fans of that game and its soundtrack. So are you a big fan of Sonic then? Totally. Might have been one of the, the first and biggest roles it played in developing my music aesthetic uh, from childhood. You know, like I think since I was five, I was humming sonic tunes Mm -hmm. you know that's a really developmental age and for that to be one of the first if not the first tunes you're humming plays a big part in influencing you i still think part two has my favorite tracks yeah it's a great soundtrack but the one thing that i think is still the best from the original was the boss music the boss music in the original sonic is my favorite boss music and the end boss as well i always loved i would always play that game just to get to the end boss just to hear the the music i always just thought it was just so epic yeah, those soundtracks are quite perfect. Yeah, I just picked up uh, Sonic Mania, but I got that on the Switch. Ah, oh, nice. It's good. It's a it's a good game. It made me happy. It, although I'm stuck on this fucking water level right now, but that's <laughs> there's this water level, and you keep drowning, and the boss. You, I I beat the first mini boss, but I feel like I'm I keep getting stuck on the second boss, but I can't remember what the hell it is. Yeah, it's chasing you, and you keep getting sucked in in this thing, and you have to keep blowing up these bombs and making air bubbles for yourself. Yeah. While, while you're like flying anyway I keep dying oh you'll get through it it's not it's not terribly hard no it's not I, it's a great game I like what they did with that one like I like how it, it retains the 16-bit style but it kind of there's like more frames of animation to the way Sonic moves and stuff because I'm a big fan of like I like remakes and reboots of video games and I like yeah. the little things you can do to take advantage of a more powerful system but still having that mm-hmm. the retro art style so like I like the way like Sonic seems to move smoother he's got more animation to his character but it still looks 16-bit that's honestly a love letter to Sonic fans. I remember playing that recently and thinking to myself, is this the greatest Sonic game ever? I think <laughs> it's just such a big statement to make, but I'm seriously considering it. And it might be everything you're talking about in terms of its visual presentation. And I would even say its soundtrack is also so well executed. I don't think anybody besides T. Lopez could have done a better job than he did on that soundtrack especially in terms of its execution and how faithful it was to original sonic music while giving it uh, a modern touch and facelift yeah no it's a fucking cool game I, so explain then the games that you were involved with the soundtracks for because i mean i don't think i've played those so like they were fan-made sonic games also right they're, they're actually kind of like the progenitor to sonic mania sure sega hadn't been giving sonic the love it deserves uh, in terms of continuing that 16-bit format uh you know there was never a proper sonic the hedgehog 4 even though there was one that was made a lot of fans dismissed 
dismiss it as not being truly a Sonic 4. That 2D classic Sonic that ended with Sonic 3 and Knuckles just ended there, and it's never been picked up since then. And so our games, Sonic BTS and ATS, they kind of picked up where that left off, and it was an entirely new original Sonic game with all new levels and its own little story and an all-new soundtrack. But made by us fans. Sonic Mania would not come out for several years, I mean, five years after. But here we are now, Sega paying attention to their fans and giving them what they've been wanting, which is a proper 16-bit style 2D Sonic, but entirely new. And they're definitely like reaping the the benefits of this thing. I wish Nintendo would do the same thing because I love that Sonic for you know decades comes out with these terrible games and maybe like every fourth one is like okay. Yeah. But like you know they're pretty much universally seen as being like mediocre at best like the majority of them. Mm -hmm. And Nintendo is always shutting down fan projects you know whenever like Nintendo gets wind of like a fan project of something like it gets fucking shut down. Yeah. And Sega it goes hey like let's actually like take this fan game and because i don't know really the backstory of that game but i mean obviously it was fan made but i don't know like did sega like take the code and then refine it or did they literally just take the game that that person made and just published it they must have done something what happened is as far as i can understand so far is christian whitehead the lead developer of sonic mania being the immensely talented designer coder that he is he was just really good at reverse engineering the classic Sonic games, and I'm guessing probably through the ROMs and all the assets it came with. And he got his start actually porting Sonic 2 and Sonic CD to the Xbox and developed a relationship with Sega that way. And eventually they let him, they're like, here, we'll give you the keys to making a brand new original Sonic game. Right. Of course, Sega gave him all the assets needed from the archives of the 90s to implement so in terms of the ones that you worked on i mean how do they play like i've never played them like do they play properly like they play almost exactly like sonic 2 or sonic 3 the physics are like 85 percent 90 percent there not quite as accurate as the originals but right you know they play strikingly close well, that's playing, cool yeah it's it's a lot of fun the developer lake feppard did an awesome job that is an interesting name yeah it's like fake leopard but lake feppard i think it's a, a, a spoonerism of fake leopard spoonerism did you do you go like college university and take english no I'm, i think i i'm just a nerd who retains fun facts or something like that <laughs> <laughs> um listen let's listen to some more tracks cool. uh, this was a cool one uh this is a track called free fall by funk fiction <laughs>
And that was Free Fall by Funk Fiction. I'm here with Funk Fiction right now. Pejmon. Yes, sir. Is it more like Pej or Pej? Uh, the former. Pej. Yeah. Pej. Okay. Like genre or beige. Pej genre man. Okay, good. <laughs> I got it. I think I got it. So this is a cool track. You know what this track kind of reminded me of? What? Is that Donkey Kong track, Aquatic Ambience? Totally. It's almost unapologetically modeled after Brambles from Donkey Kong 2. Right, yeah. Brambles was the aquatic ambience of fucking Donkey Kong 2. Yeah, yeah. Yes, totally. (laughs) My favorite songs from both those games is Bramble Blast and fucking Aquatic Ambience. Same here, man. I've never really sat down and listened to the soundtrack of Donkey Kong Country 3. I don't remember any tracks really standing out to me in the brief time that I played that game, but maybe I am wrong. I haven't listened to the full soundtrack or played the whole game, but I I hear that that soundtrack is also great. Definitely need to revisit it, though. So the point is (laughs) that that's what your track reminded me of. But it's weird because it wasn't... I don't know why I thought of that as soon as I heard it, because like tempo-wise, it wasn't really... It's the chord progression in the B section of the song where the melody, the piano melody kicks in. Right. That whole chord progression is straight out of Donkey Kong Country 2 Brambles. So did you go to school for music or what? I did, yes. Because I, I was looking at your fucking SoundCloud and there was a... Oh, I was just looking at all the different genres that you had sort of experimented with. Mm-hmm. Now I'm looking at things like fucking psychedelic trance and classical and house and all this stuff and I don't know if that was just something that you were doing for fun or if it was kind of like uh, experimenting with these different styles on purpose like it was part of a thesis or something yeah the the classical one i think you're talking about the string quartet that was uh for my schooling i I wasn't assigned to do it but during my stay at college i needed to have or i wanted to have one substantial body of work that was a culmination of everything i had learned or was learning at the time so do you have like friends that play strings yeah my then girlfriend at the time was a violinist and still is a violinist lacy rostiak she's the uh first violin in that quartet she got the three other best string players in the school convinced to play on it which was a really huge luxury for me. And I got a really great engineer and in a good studio room and that's in my school to have it live recorded. So I just got gifted a really great performance and recording of that composition I wrote. Did you just write it or did you get to like stand in front of them while they were playing and hold that stick? Well, that's you're talking about conducting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, you're right. It is a it is how you described it, <laughs> but a quartet, a string quartet almost never needs a conductor. They don't need no stick? No, it usually takes a lar- larger ensemble for a conductor to be required. Right. What about like a giant hat? Uh, well, maybe if there was a drummer. So this project then, at what point did you start developing? Like, did you already know you wanted to do like electronic stuff before? I think so. Yeah. Did, it, did you learn anything in school or was it more just about like meeting people or did you actually like pick up tips that were like, this is going to help me on my journey? Well, I don't think you need school unless you're trying to become a lawyer or a doctor or computer scientist or something that's not in the entertainment industry, at least. My reasons for going to school were just to get good at music. I was a late bloomer. I didn't really learn how to play an instrument or read music or anything until I was 17 when I started taking piano lessons. But I, I just, I fell in love with it. And I I got quickly obsessed. I knew that this is something I wanted to do. I was encouraged by my parents to follow music. And I only went to music school 
to get good, to get enriched musically, to know what I'm doing, to learn my way around a piano and have that classical and some jazz foundation. I wanted a foundation. Right. And that's what school was good for. Nothing else really. And it, it's all the, ele- <laughs> all the electronic stuff and the production side of things has all been self-taught. Reading articles or actually just playing around, making music on a computer all the time, watching YouTube videos later and keep practicing. That's all self-taught. But the classical theory, music theory type stuff, school really helped out. It's kind of like the same thing when people go and they just want to draw cartoons, but then they go to like art school and they got to like paint a lot of naked people. Yeah. And they like totally. learn form drawing and stuff. And <laughs> I, I wanted to be an animator really when I was in high school. And then I, uh, and I just did not want to do any of the, the, <laughs> the stuff, the prep stuff, the formal training. Yeah. Cause it, when I wanted to do computer animation, this was like a long time. I'm an old man. And, but then they're like, you got to do a year of like classic uh, animation where you got to do like figure drawing and all this stuff. And I was like, Nope, I just wanted, <laughs> I, I'm sure that stuff's very useful, but I just was like, fuck this. Like, I don't want to do that. So, uh, I didn't. And that's my, story about uh, animation that's cool i didn't know that but we should listen to some more music let's do it so here's a cool track uh this is also from the sonic beats album this is a track called red moon by funk fiction one of my favorites
And that was Red Moon by Funk Fiction off the album Sonic Beats. Now, what the hell is Spark the Electric Jester? That was the same developer, Lake, uh, Lake Feppard. He uh, finally made his own original game that wasn't Sonic, using Sonic mechanics, but it's got a little bit of Kirby and Mega Man in there. I'll tell you, this dude looks like a yellow cool spot to me. He does. Cool spot. Totally 7-Up. He does look like a yellow cool spot. I I can get down with that. You want to hear a cool fucking song, play or just go and listen to... There is this cool spot game for Game Boy. I don't even know what the fuck the game is called. Like the game that it's based on. You know, you have like a sort of a checkerboard type thing and then you put down a black circle and the other guy puts down a white circle and then if your circle touches their circle then you turn their circles into black circles. Is that Go? Is it Go? It's Go. I have no idea. Or is it Othel? Othello. Oh, might be Othello. Yeah, maybe it's Othello. That sounds familiar. So anyway, there was this game for Game Boy called Cool Spot, and it, and it had, uh, or it might have just been called Spot, like Spot 7-Up. No, I think it was called Cool Spot. I think you're right. No, because Cool Spot had a few games. Oh, right. So there was, there was one, I think, where Cool Spot was actually like, it, it was actually a platformer. Yeah. And I think that was on, it might have been even like a home console. Game Boy had this other Spot 7-Up game that was just Othello. And, but the, the music in that game is wicked. Like, if you just let it play and then you don't touch any buttons, then this song would come in. Yeah. And that music, I loved that fucking song. This is a dumb story, but anyway. No, I'd love to <laughs> check it out. I'm all about obscure video game music. A lot of gems to be found there. video game music when I was growing up and from every system that I played there was always something that I found really memorable from like the Commodore 64 up Mm -hmm. and this one was one of those games that didn't really have music but then just had this one song and there's a lot of games like that like uh, uh, pinball games and stuff 
where it wouldn't have a ton of music, but it would have like one really long, epic kind of track. Yeah. And uh, Cool Spot had one of those. And it was one of those where I, when I listen to it now, I just think like, how cool would this be if like this was done by like a metal orchestra? But at the same time, I like the synths as well. There was also this pinball game I used to play for TurboGrafx-16 called Devil's Crush, which has a fucking cool song in it. Well, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to link me to these. Uh, yeah, I'll send you on. some links. Uh, I'd love to listen. I'd love to listen to them. There's some fucking great ones, man. I'm trying to think like in the N64 era, there was this game called Turok 2 on the N64. Yeah, I loved Turok. It's weird because Acclaim just sort of folded as a company and just sort of went away, and so I have no way of like tracking down like. I mean, I guess I could try and look. I, I haven't actually tried to look. But uh, whoever did the music for Turok 2, there's this one track, which is like the first level in Turok 2 called The Port of Adia. And it has a fucking wicked song. Like, it's one of my favorite songs of all time in like a video game. Yeah. And uh, I don't know where like to go to find the fucking person who wrote it. Because it's just this cool thing, and like it just that every every aspect of that company just sort of disappeared. I don't even think. I think right now you could probably just make a Turok video game, and you probably wouldn't even get sued. Like I don't even know who the hell owns the rights to it now. That's interesting. I didn't know that's just how Acclaim went down. Well, I don't. I don't know the story of Acclaim. They're just kind of gone. Right. Right. I mean, like they were they were big in like the N sixty four era. They they had like sports games and yeah, they were great. They published so much stuff. I mean, I think even like the Mortal Kombat games they they published uh, for the consoles and things. And then all of a sudden there was just like once the like in the GameCube era and the the Xbox and stuff like that, just the claim was gone. It's too bad. They they were pretty good. It is too bad. <laughs> what about what? Uh, what about you though? Like, what are some of your favorite uh, video game scores? Oh, there's way too many to list. Aside from obvious ones, alphabetical order, please. <laughs> I really like Wave Race '64. That has a great soundtrack. I was gonna fucking say that when I was listening to your music. Yeah, that's what came to mind <laughs> because. Nintendo went in this sort of direction, and it's funny because it's like, for me, I would have gone in a, in a different direction, like, because Nintendo sort of did this kind of soft funk jazz kind of stuff with yeah. a lot of their games, Yeah, and I always envisioned some of some of the classic tracks, like, say, from, like, uh, Mario Brothers and stuff, could have gone a lot, like, heavier electronic and been really cool, especially, like, the underground theme in, in, in the Mario games. Yeah. Because in my head, when I hear it, like when I play the original Nintendo, and and I hear just like the na 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 na, like to me, I'm picturing that fucking heavy as shit, and like really loud, like fucking some big fat synth sounds. Yeah. But around like Super Nintendo era, Nintendo kind of went this sort of soft funk kind of jazz sort of sound with this games. I'm thinking like games like uh, Mario Paint and stuff. Totally. That, uh, Which is also one of my favorite soundtracks too. It's soothing almost. Very. And uh, and the music in like SimCity I always remember too like on the Nintendo console like the music that was in the background of that and, and then GameCube really did it where like pretty much all Nintendo games now have these types of soundtracks you yeah. know where they're not they're not aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, like, the last one was pretty much, like, in Mario 64, like, the Bowser fights. Yeah. Like, that... Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that's the last one. Well, to you're right about, you know, back to Wave Race. It is mostly, like, soothing and jazzy, but there are a couple levels in that. Um, Marine Fortress, Marine Fortress and Pirate Port or 
something. Those are some he- like if you listen to that again, it's like heavy rock organ and get distortion guitar and like the drums are going crazy. It's there are a couple heavy tracks in that otherwise soft and smooth wave race soundtrack. When I was listening to your music, I thought of Wave Race. So, like, I I pictured that in my head. I'm like, oh, this stuff would be great in Wave Race. I mean, I think that was like one of the things I was going <laughs> to say. That's a compliment, man. Thank you. I I do use Wave Race type chords, I suppose. It's interesting because I don't I don't really listen to that that sort of sound very often. And uh, it, but it still does. I mean, with you know the power of music, when I hear certain sounds and certain tempos and rhythms and stuff, yeah. and it really just shoots you right back to. You know, when you were playing uh, games like that and, and stuff. And so when I was listening to your tunes, I was definitely going like, whoa, Wave Race. And I just went back to Wave Race time. And then I was N64 era stuff. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm great at making points. I get your point, man. It, it's a. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my music indirectly reminds you of Wave Race. And I think that's a sweet compliment. Yeah, man. Well, there you go. Like, <laughs> well, let's. Uh, Let's listen to another one. So I think this was my favorite track on this uh, Sonic Beats album. This was Titanic Tower Act 2 Ah, by Funk Fiction.
And that was Titanic Tower Act 2 by Funk Fiction. And I'm here with function. Fun, I'm here with function. I just called yeah. you. There you go. Short. I was, I was so. I was so. Function. Yeah. I was like, this is going to be great because I'm going to say Pejmon perfectly, <laughs> and then uh, and then I called you function instead. So I'll take it. We win some, we lose some. <laughs> uh, yeah, you did mention you uh, are into synthwave, and I guess that was ri- that. You know, that was written five years ago. So I, I think it was before the whole synthwave thing even took off. The truest synth wave in quotes is the stuff that sounds the most to me like video game music. Yeah. Well, I think it's what people called Outrun, you know, in like the mid 2000s or whatever. Like there was people making that type of music, but they were calling it Outrun. And it's basically like the kind of music you'd picture in the game Outrun, you know, just like a driving a car on a fucking Miami skyline or whatever and like the sunset in the background and one of those like arcade kind of racing games with the steering wheel but a lot of it I've always loved that video game influence and so that's why I I kind of gravitate to the stuff as well yeah it's probably a a modern implementation of video game music with new wave from the 80s and synth, and synth pop from the 80s I mean, I guess if, if I would put it in context of video game context, a lot of the stuff that I really like is more like boss music. Yeah. Like if I if, if I if I think about like what its context would be in a game, because that's the way I always think when it comes to music is I'm always thinking, how would I use this? Like I make um, I mean, I don't need more because I have no fucking time, but I like making like short films and videos and stuff. And and I like writing and things. And, and to me, like music always conjures something, some sort of visual, some sort of idea. Like when you're composing stuff, were you actually seeing the levels of the Sonic games that you knew your music was going to be for? Or were you just making just, here's a track, just throw it in someplace? I mean, like, what was the process like? Yes, there was some kind of video or image or images that I had to work with to see what the level looked like, along with a direction I was given. Sometimes there, I wasn't given much direction and there would be a lot of creative freedom and sometimes I would be given a lot of direction that I'd have to fulfill. But I almost always did have some kind of visual cue, usually some kind of clip to work with. Did that help? Yeah, a whole lot. It always helps. So, you know, like if you're like doing the, the crystal level or something, you can put little like chimey things in the background. <laughs> I guess so. Although <laughs> crystal duration is the only one that isn't scored to anything. It's just... Uh, Kind of a reimagining. You know, in all classic games, whenever there was a, an ice level of some kind, yeah, totally. There would usually be these sort of like these kind of chime sounds that they would play and sparkly and shiny sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sparkly chime, whatever that is. And I know, like, you know, in Zelda to, to every game, like whenever you walk into a cave and there's ice crystals, like. It's only fitting. Someone had to do it first. <laughs> You know, someone had to do that first, but then it, that sound becomes synonymous with like that type of visual. And I don't know who did it first because I'm not like a historian of this stuff. But some dude at some point must have been like, hey, icicles, that sounds like this twinkly chime noise. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone just sort of like agreed that like that is what icicles sound like. You know, it's like, you know, movies where they pull swords out of their scabbards and then they hold the sword and it makes like a high pitch humming noise. I, and I don't know if it was Lord of the Rings that did it first. But they did this thing where when they would hold the sword close to the screen and the guy would hold it and just sort of point it, yeah. it would make a high pitch like, 
sound. <laughs> yeah. And now, like, every movie, whenever someone pulls out a sword, a sword makes this fucking weird high-pitched hum. Yeah. And we've just accepted that, like, that's what a sword sounds like. And it's like, well, where's this hum coming from? It's like, when Gandalf dropped the ring into fucking Frodo's hand, it makes, like, a metallic, like, clink noise. And it's fine. Like, we're just okay with that. I'm like, but it hit his hand. Like, does he have, like, a metal plate in his hand? That's another thing. I know. Anyways. <laughs> good observations great observations i'm super sensitive to sounds mm-hmm. and so i don't like when movies reuse stock sound effects it frustrates me because it takes me right out of it yeah i feel that way about the wilhelm scream like it's like a rite of passage for sound designers to have one character in a movie do the wilhelm scream in like every film is that the is that the lucas sound effect yes yeah. yes yes that's the and like there it is you know it used to be fun like when i was a kid it was fun spotting the movies that it was in because it was mostly lucasfilm or related things yeah now every movie does it it annoys me i'm like just get a new fucking scream i know there's there's another one that really bugs me is the the children laughing one. Oh yes you know i don't even want to imitate it but as long as you know what i'm referring to god that bugs me. did you ever play diddy kong racing yeah i love diddy kong racing yeah they do that sound for the rareware logo Oh no i forgot all about that but i think that's where i f- heard it first so there's a whole bunch of sound effects i've been on this like all my life i'm always talking about reused sound effects like yeah uh back when the video game doom came out and then they used it in like every movie whenever there was an explosion and, and fire kind of yeah. shot out it would always do that I can't even do an impression of it, but I it's think like I know the one you're talking about. Overused. There's a pot break that every time you hear a pot break off screen, it's always like the same sound effect. Yeah. And there's like about four cat meows that they use in every movie. Like they don't bother to record any new ones. Like that's just there's like a sound effect CD somewhere with four cat meows and a pot and break. Has them. Children laughing. Uh the gasping, a crowd gasping of like maybe ten people going <gasps> like yeah. this. And it happens in every comedy movie when someone does something embarrassing and the crowd goes yeah. silent. Um, you will hear that exact same like crowd gasping sound effect in like every film. <gasps> anyway, that's the end of that. <laughs> Again, good observations. I've I've noticed these things too, and a lot of people do. And it takes me out of the movie. It sucks. It's like it's like when you see a movie, people complain about like unoriginal ideas or they've seen this and that before. Yeah. But I'm also sensitive to sound effects. So if I'm watching a movie and they just I, I'm going like, well, that's the same fucking door creaking noise that's in every movie where like a door opens and it, <laughs> it just takes me out of it and, and it's annoying because like how hard is it to record a door noise i mean like no i i appreciate anyone who can uh notice these things it's very perceptive of you to me it just seems lazy because it when you hear is. a cool new sound yeah it's exhilarating yes even like i don't like the star wars prequels at all but in the second one uh, Boba Fett had this bomb that he let, or not, boom, who cares? Uh, he drops his bomb into space and then it would like make this weird metallic twang noise and there'd be like a silence for a moment and, and then you wouldn't hear the sound effect and then it would kind of go off. That was like my favorite part of the movie just because I'm like, hey, a cool new sound effect. Like, <laughs> like that was cool. That's like the only thing I like about the Star Wars prequels was that twang noise. Yeah, the, the sound designers did some good job, did, did a good job actually on, you know, that is one of, one of the redeeming qualities of those movies even like the the transformers movies which i can't stand but like uh they do have lots of cool sounds and yeah great sound design i agree yeah the twiddly fucking like all that all that shit i mean i I like that stuff 
What's another track that uh, that y- that you're proud of, man? We'll play that. Oh, off uh, Sonic Beats? I'll play anything, man. Well, I do have a new track for a new game I'm working on. I'm currently writing the soundtrack for it. Uh, the game is called Epitasis. It's a Greek word uh, meaning most intense part of a play, kind of like an exposition, uh, a climax, and a resolution. And so the most intense part being the epitasis. That's what it's named after. It's a sci-fi exploration puzzle game reminiscent of a uh, classic PC game, Myst. Sure. And it's also reminiscent of a more modern rendition of that uh, called the Talus Principle. It's kind of refreshing because, you know, in, in this day and age of action and first-person shooter games, you know, this is kind of a very lush, gorgeous, graphically beautiful game uh, that is, you know, hev- heavily focused on puzzles and scenery. Your, your mission is to find your way back home to Earth, having stumbled upon a portal that transports you to this otherworldly planet that ha- it looks very Earth-like, but isn't Earth. And you realize there's an ancient civilization there that used to be there, but you're, you're alone. And you need to discover this civilization's secret to find your way back to Earth. So Epidesis is the game, and we just... It's just mainly being made by Lucas Govatos and me. He's the lead designer, developer, and I'm the composer. We got it kickstarted a few months ago. You know, we were able to meet our Kickstarter goal of close to 12, 12 grand and make a couple grand over that. Awesome. Yeah, is thank you. We're putting that extra those that extra funding towards uh, developing it for VR as well, since it seems like it's very appropriate for vr like will there be a part like i know you're saying you know because it's it's more puzzle oriented and stuff like this but uh, will you be able to solicit a prostitute and then murder her is that in this game <laughs> um we're working on it maybe implementing that via cheat code right as long as it's there i'm in that's all that matters to me in the video game landscape we're gonna make the cheat code impossible to figure out so good luck <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though, man. I like hearing I like hearing stories about successful Kickstarters. I also like hearing stories about people who follow through on their successful Kickstarters because uh, there's been a few like sketchy ones. He's very hard at work on it, and I'm hard at work on writing the soundtrack. And we're doing our best to fulfill our promise of releasing it in June of 2018. We already debuted the launch trailer on the Kickstarter with the track that I'm going to share with you. I've I've already I've already released and shared two of the songs from the game, which will tide hopefully tide people over that are following it uh, until the full soundtrack in the game is released. It's called Epitasis. Uh, it's named after the title of the game. It's a two minute song, uh, which is the music for the tr- official trailer of the game. Cool. Well, let's fucking listen to this, man. This is Epitasis by Funk Fiction.
that was Funk Fiction with the track Epitasis, which is music from the upcoming game successfully kickstarted. Thank you. Yes. Right? <laughs> You're welcome. You're right. <laughs> I was the sole donator. I was the guy who gave you the 12 grand. So I deserve all the thanks. Quite generous. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyways, dude, we can probably uh, wind this down, but is there anything uh, you wanted to to say that uh, we didn't cover? No, not really. I guess, you know, it's funny that we almost actually didn't get that game funded. Uh, With one week left in the Kickstarter, it looked like, you know, we were still four grand under. And it was really amazing to see all the support. Everybody kind of just like rally behind it and get it funded. That was really cool to see because... We're not very savvy with social media or have this massive online presence. Uh, it's really just kind of like a labor of love. And it's neat to see people actually get their imaginations captured by something and push and believe in something. That was kind of neat. So we're really, really thankful to everybody who funded that. And I also don't have a massive following or anything, but I do have a small, relatively small, a very significant and loyal following that some of the comments and messages I get really heartfelt and really motivating. And I just appreciate the fans I have that let me know how much they enjoy and believe in my music. You're a sweet man, Pejman. Thanks, Andy. Sorry. How do you say your last name? Ruzbet. Okay, so that's more like just how it's spelled in, right? Yeah, it's it literally means good day. I, I am literally Mr. Good Day. That's awesome. Mr. Good Day sounds like a fucking James Bond, like, uh, <laughs> not the main villain, but like the side dude, you know, like, so like the main villain's got some wacky eye or something and it's, get him, Good Day. I can totally imagine James Bond asking a fictitious Mr. Good Day for some tea. Yeah, man. Fucking Mr. Good Day's got metal hands. <laughs> uh, no, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's got to have something. The The henchman always has to have some sort of wacky thing about him. Do you, well, you like wearing hats, right? So Mr. Good Day can have like a really tall top hat that he keeps guns in. Yeah, uh, I'll go with that one. Oh, and then the hat is a gun. Because at the <laughs> yeah. end when you, you you think that all it, it's out of weapons or whatever, and then he when he holds it down sideways, it's like a big, long Jamiroquai-type hat that it's capable of shooting rockets or like it's a single-shot rocket. Yeah, I, I love it. That's a great idea. Excellent. Well, I guess none of us can really copyright James Bond villains, so I guess they can just have it. Yeah, they can have it. The fucking Broccoli family, or whoever <laughs> owns the rights to... I think it's the Broccolis. It's a funny last name. I didn't know that. Yeah, Broccoli. Is it not Barclay? No, it's Broccoli. It's it's B-R and not B-A? No, it's fucking... It's it's full-on Broccoli, dude. It's, it's Broccoli. Hold on here. Let me just uh, double-check. <laughs> Let here. us confirm. Yeah, okay. So Albert R. Broccoli... Awesome. Nicknamed Cubby, who died in 96, was an American film producer. Yeah, so he's the producer that bought the rights a long time ago, and then I think their names are still associated with the with the movies and i think it is pronounced broccoli although yeah yeah it's two c's is that how you spell broccoli i've never even written the word broccoli before it's unnecessary anyway it's a great veggie <laughs> <laughs> little trees <laughs> we've had a good time here today yes we have anyways man well you have a lovely day you as well uh you live in a nice weather place right so you're you're doing all right i think yeah we're really waiting for some clouds already it's almost november and we have nothing but sun I guess, yeah, woe is me. <laughs> All you get is sunshine. But trust me, <laughs> you do miss some clouds. I'm up here in Canada, man. So, like, once our uh, 
Once our hot season goes away, I'm in for a uh, lovely winter. Oh, good for you. Uh, it was good talking to you. Nice meeting you. People can go check out your shit. It's uh, Funk Fiction. I was about to call you Function again. <laughs> <laughs> shorthand for fun fiction yeah but if people dig these sounds and and also i guess they can also just go play those sonic games right are those available to download somewhere yeah they're free they're free to download and you know they can it can play spark play the sonic games play epitasis or support epitasis coming up and uh or just listen to the music you know it's uh it's all out there well that's some great advice i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, dude, man, it was good to meet you, and you have a lovely day, and fucking uh, you rock on. Rock on. You too, <laughs> sir. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. All right, and that was my conversation with Funk Fiction. That was a good time. Cool sounds there, and you can check out uh, his band camp and all those things, and uh, do it up. So now... Um, Shit, let's listen to another track, and then we'll keep it 80s with Marco Merrick. How about that? So, you know, The Midnight dropped their uh, new album, and it was very good, and lots of great tracks on it. Here is one that I really dug. This was an instrumental track from the album, but I think it's super cool, and it's called Tokyo Night Train by The Midnight.
That was the midnight with Tokyo Night Train. I'm probably <laughs> the emphasis is probably all off there. Tokyo Night Train. Uh, it's really great though. That EP is uh, very very well produced. Uh, clever clever guys. And now let's uh, let's go keep it 80s with Marco Merrick. Oh, and I should warn you. We what is wrong with my intonation today? <laughs> I should warn you. We talk about the new Blade Runner movie, and there are some spoilers, particularly about a cameo, okay? So, I don't think we necessarily spoil any plot information, like we don't give away what the story is, but we do mention a plot point where there is a cameo by a character and maybe a few sentences surrounding the nature of that cameo, okay? So if you don't want to be spoiled about that cameo, then don't... I I don't know what to do. Then just skip it. Once we start talking about Blade Runner, um, I guess just skip it. I know, whatever. Just, okay, if you don't want to know about a certain cameo in the movie, skip over this thing. Everybody else, who cares? So uh, here is Keeping It 80s with Marco Merrick with warning... Of a mild... Is it even a mild spoiler? It's probably a major spoiler, but it's just not plot, really. What am I doing? (laughs) Let's go keep it 80s. Keeping it 80s with Marco Merrick. And uh, hi, how's it going? Hey, Andy, I'm doing pretty good. And yourself, mate? I'm all right here. I just have a mug of fruit shake I just made for myself, so I just drank some of it. Oh, I thought it might be the mug that you have on the uh, on the video show that you do, the video podcast. Uh, those mugs are good, but they're... They're like uh, more medium-sized mugs. So, like when I make myself a fruit shake, I need like those big giant mugs. I've w- I've always loved big mugs. You know, like when I go to people's <laughs> houses and they have those, you know, little tiny glasses. Like, oh, this is like a proper like orange juice glass for breakfast. I like that shit. For me, I've I've never had any use for small glasses. Like all of. Agreed. I love big mug. Like to be honest with you, like if I could all the time, my standard method of drinking would be like beer mugs, like all the time, like the, you know that that capacity yeah. of mug. Yeah. And so whenever I go back to like using small cups at other people's houses, I'm just like, what the fuck's the point? It's like you you have like two drinks, then you got to fill it up again. Like everything should be beer mug sized. <laughs> I agree. I hate getting up all the time refilling, like especially in summertime when it's hot. You got to get up all the fucking time. I put on a movie. I don't want to get up like two or three times. It's just stupid. You put ice in it, have a big glass, and then you don't have to get up for a long time. Yeah, man. You know? That's the way to do it. It is the way to do it. <laughs> unless unless you're drinking shots, then you need the shot glass. True. Yeah. I don't drink shots really. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a big alky myself. How was your Halloween, anyway? Happy Halloween! Today is Halloween. <laughs> uh, so yes, you. It is while we're recording this. Yes, you and I are recording on October the 31st. It is the morning here, so uh, I won't be going out until this evening. But we'll just walk up, uh, you know, our kids around. That's it, really. Do you guys celebrate uh, Halloween a fair bit up there? I mean, what's it like? Is it the same as the US up in Canada? Yeah. No, no, it's the same. I mean, we do the handing out the candy and the fucking uh, dressing up. I mean, I'm not going to dress up. My wife dresses up because mm-hmm. she, she teaches, so so she gets excited to wear some silly costume. And <laughs> I'll, I'll wear my light-up shoes. That's about as much as I'm going to do tonight. Cool. But what, uh, what's, what's been going on, man? What's new in the fucking life of... Uh, 
Marco Merrick. I ended up seeing Blade Runner, by the way. Oh, you did. Even though you you talked about it like what three weeks ago now, and I never uh, yeah, I never responded. Come on. Get with the times. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think? Uh, I liked it. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? I think you and I, based on our private conversations, had like the same reaction to the film. Like I've been reading a lot of people and uh, people praising the film, and I agree. I think it's a good movie. I think it's it was a good sequel. I think you know there's maybe what like mm-hmm. five good sequels in the history of cinema, maybe six. So I'm, I mean I'm I'm glad this is a good sequel, but um, I think it's going to take me repeated viewings to accept that it is a sequel to Blade Runner. Like, it's hard to explain, but I think the weirdest part of that movie for me is that it's Blade Runner 2. Like, the idea that there's a sequel to Blade Runner is weird to me. Hmm. It is weird, isn't it? It was a standalone movie that I never thought we'd see any sort of follow-up to. And so you're watching, and there's there's Deckard. And there's a story that, you know, directly connects to events that happened in the other one. And it's sort of like really weird that that exists and the only other thing is i got to get used to the fact that there's shots that take place in the daytime yeah that was a big thing for me which was i didn't like i didn't particularly like the scene at the junkyard or whatever it's very bright i'm like come on it's tricky right because for me blade runner is it's nighttime in the rain so i just assumed that that world doesn't have a daytime so i know it's like does it i mean you know, we just didn't see it. That's the thing. That So I think on repeated viewings, I'm going to sort of come to accept that more. Mm-hmm. But that was that's it, really. It was more. But I still liked the aesthetic. Like there's some daytime shots that are that were cool looking. Yeah. It's just and I liked the homages to the original film. I thought that they weren't too heavy handed. You know, that scene where like, well, not to do spoilers, but there's a scene where Ryan Gosling, like he's got that that drone thing that comes off his car. Hmm. Yeah, and remember towards the end where he's scanning like that Vegas area, and I th- I thought like that was a nice homage to the scene where Harrison Ford is uh, doing the enhanced thing with the photo in the first movie, mm-hmm. because it was the same premise, like you know, like that thing's flying, and he's like, yeah. all right, zoom in this, and he's saying the coordinates for the camera to zoom in, and then he like zooms in more and stuff, and it was like, and I was like, okay, that's a nice thing, like it's a cool scene, but it also works as like a throwback reference to the mm. the first movie, and. There's a few little things like that here and there. And as much as people like to complain, you know, whenever there's a CGI character in a movie, you know, they'll be like, oh, they're, they're not there yet or whatever. Not to spoil what happens, but I thought the CGI character was pretty fucking good. Mm, me too. Like, I thought it was really, I thought that was really well done. And I still see people going like, oh, it still looked fake to me. I'm like, fuck you. Like, that was really, really That's good. pretty close. Pretty, pretty fucking close. The only thing I think they still have an issue with is the mouth. That's the only place I can actually tell. I mean, that's the only place I can tell that it's it wasn't her. You know what I mean? And I still think that in this case, it was they they were still clever about what they did and didn't show. Because hmm. I think you really only saw the mouth move. I think like once, and then there was a lot of it's shots a tiny of like bit. they were like from the distance or from behind. Whereas you know, it's it's movies that get too bold and that can't pull it off Mm. that where you really notice it where it's like oh wow like you know when you think about Rogue One like Star Wars like they were full on like CGI characters like right in the fucking camera you know and you're just like okay like if you're gonna be that bold about it like make sure you have got the tech to back it up but if you know that that's a weakness animating a 3D mouth on a human always looks kind of weird then you know make that shot take place you know further back from the camera Mm. or have that something obscure the mouth or whatever do tricks well 
Another thing that disappointed me a little bit was... I mean, look, it was a great movie, I agree. But as a as a true sequel to Blade Runner, there's some things that were off. I mean, uh, his apartment, you know, Gosling's apartment. I mean, what the fuck was that about? It's, a, it's like a contemporary fucking normal house. I'm like, are you serious? How do you go from decades fucking ridiculously amazing apartment, all his lights flashing into his boring place with no lights flashing in, no lighting effects. It's well lit. The walls are white. Uh, it's just a normal fucking window. It's not very high up in the street. It's just a really fucking boring apartment. So that really disappointed me as well as, um, I don't know, just Harrison Ford, you know, his... Just what he's wearing. Like, where's all the fucking <laughs> neon noir shit? You know? Oh, he's just yeah, wearing yeah. a grey T-shirt. Oh, wow, great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that, that was a little bit disappointing to me. But No, um, I agree. I, I agree. There was some elements like that where... Uh, the same with the police station as well. Like The police station too. You know, you, you look back yeah. on the first movie and, like, even the like the whole movie takes place at nighttime and even the police station is, like, there's, like, one light on and it's full of smoke and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, there's just... Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. things like that that I associated with the universe of Blade Runner and so when you see like oh like they have, there's like well lit offices in this world too it's sort of like okay you know I mean I can accept that that happens but it's gonna take uh, it's probably gonna take me a few rewatches but I will say like Harrison Ford's performance was good like I thought he, he his performance was good yeah. he was good like it was it was you know yeah but the other problem was it was a bit of a misogynistic mess wasn't it oh yeah of course <laughs> dude <laughs> I read wow. some articles that made me very mad <sighs> What's wrong with these people? Like, I'm, I'm still wrestling with if people are actually oversensitive or if they're pretending to be. Because, like, I read one article where a dude was complaining about the CGI character. Hmm. The article made me really mad. Like, it was a poorly written, stupid article. Uh, actually, we can talk about it because, like, it, the, dude, the, the, guy was, <laughs> the guy was wrong. Like, he was actually wrong. Look, the problem, Andy, is the only, only articles that get attention these days are ones that cause controversy. So if you're going to put all this crazy shit out there, people are going to read it. I mean, we've taken notice to them. You know, you know what I mean? Like, that's I true. I think that's it works. the world that's we the, live yeah. in now. Yeah. It works, unfortunately. Even And, and I think... I think they exaggerate or they just talk or they just take things to the absolute extreme to be outraged about something that there's no outrage in. And then people are like, oh, my God, look at, you know, and look, we're talking about it. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so play, play me a song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Alpha Risk has just brought out an awesome track. Look, we're going to play some uh, darker stuff this week, um, you know, because obviously we recorded this on Halloween and there's still a bit of a trickle of Halloween songs coming out anyway. Um, Alpha Risk brought out an awesome new one called Will My Hands Grow Back? It's a rather long song, but this is brilliant stuff. All right. And this is Will My Hands Grow Back by Alpha Risk.
And that was Alpha Risk with the track Will My Hands Grow Back? And that's Marco's first pick of the week, and that was cool. So here, just to give some context to what I was saying, this was an article on Vulture by some goof called Nate Jones, (laughs) and the title of the article is, Male stars get to age while women live on in digital recreations of their of their younger selves. Jesus Christ. Just listen to the, the language. Okay. What was the part of Blade Runner 2049 that squ- squicked you out the most? I don't know what that means. Squeaked, squicked I you? Know I don't either. know. What was the Okay, what was the part that squicked you out the most? The weird hologram sex scene? Jared Leto gutting that naked replicant? The vision of San Diego as a war-torn hellscape? All those were pretty weird, but for me, nothing was more unsettling than the moment at the end of the film when Leto tried to tempt Harrison Ford's Rick Deckard into spilling some secrets by teasing him with a reincarnated version of his lost love. Okay, let's just admit that we're spoilers now. We're talking spoilers. Oh, no, Andy, what are you doing? <laughs> okay, Sean Young's Rachel digitally remade exactly as she was. Maybe it's CGI <sighs> Rachel's appearance in the presence of a septuagenarian Harrison Ford, but I couldn't help thinking about a similar cameo from Carrie Fisher at the end of Rogue One. Another instance of a female lead from an iconic sci-fi franchise <sighs> being brought back in precisely the form that fanboys remembered her, right down to the weird hairdo. Forgive me for paraphrasing, Lady Bracknell, but while to digitally de-age one former Harrison Ford love interest may be regarded as a neat trick, to digitally de-age two points to a disconcerting movement in modern Hollywood blockbusters, male actors get to reprise their famous roles again and again, no matter how grizzled and wrinkly they are, while women must be content to see their hottest selves frozen in CGI amber. What a fucking moron. (laughs) So let's just break down why this dude's a fucking idiot right now. Number Mm -hmm. one, this scene in Blade Runner has fucking context in the fucking narrative. She looks the way he remembers her. That's the point of the fucking scene. Like the mm. po- the point is I'm tempting you with the with you know with the love that you lost and here she is as you remember her. Like that's the fucking point. Like he's not mm. he's not going to bring out an old lady version of her. He's going to bring out the version that he remembers in his head. That's the point <laughs> of the fucking scene. Like for fuck's sake. And then he's just like this reminds me of the time they did it at the end of of Rogue One. Oh, so you think that it would make sense to fucking have a scene that takes place before Star Wars A New Hope and then fucking Carrie Fisher turns around and she's fucking 70? Like, do you think that would make sense, you fucking idiot? (laughs) So so both of these these examples, okay, were literally context-specific to those movies. Like, it was like, the reason Mm -hmm. why she's young in that is because it takes place before the first Star Wars, you fucking idiot! Like, what a moron! <laughs> so, uh, I love seeing you worked up, Andy. <laughs> the, the second thing is, and then he literally disproves his own theory because he's trying to say, what a disturbing trend in Hollywood. Oh, what a disturbing trend that men have to get to be old and women have to be digitally de-aged. No, 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 but they're doing it for men as well. Not only are they doing it for men, I can think of fucking ten yeah. examples off the top of my head. Fucking Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy, Robert Downey Jr., Captain yes. America, Tron, Tron, fucking uh, Jeff yeah. Bridges, Johnny Depp in the yeah. fucking Pirates of the Caribbean, the last one, Ant Man, fucking Michael Douglas is fucking uh, he gets yeah, digitally de-aged. That's right. 
Oh, it's sexism. It's sexism against men. Come on, it's it's not it's not equal. Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> in the last two fucking Terminator movies got fucking de-aged. Yeah. Uh, watch those fucking X-Men 3. That was back when they couldn't even do it, and they fucking de-aged Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, and everyone That's complained because right. it looked really weird. Oh, but they only do it to women. Oh, but they fucking do it to men more, yet it's fuck a problem for women. Like, okay. Mm. Now, here we are. And then, so in his own example, he's like, it's true that many male stars get to, this happens to, and then he gives three examples which is more than his two examples for women so already if he's establishing a fucking trend he's just proved in his own fucking article that it's more of a trend for men like ah he's like so so you know kurt russell and robert downey and johnny depp have had seen younger versions revived on screen but in every case i can remember these cgi youngsters pop up in films where their aged flesh and blood counterparts also play major roles not so with fisher and young their digital doppelgangers are the only appearances in their respective films like okay so now he's making a weird arbitrary point that means nothing. He's saying, so, but when men get to play younger versions of themselves, they also appear on screen as older versions of themselves. Like, what does that point even mean? What does that mean? Like, it's, so now we got to, like, <laughs> take the movies apart and say, like, well, you know, if you're going to have a young version of her, make sure she shows up old just so it's the same as the man roles. And not only <laughs> that, he's fucking wrong because in Terminator Salvation, Arnold Schwarzenegger did not appear <laughs> only a CGI version of his younger self. So it does happen That's with exactly dudes. Right. There was a fucking stand-in, a bodybuilder stand-in. Arnold was not on set for Terminator Salvation. So his own fucking example there is wrong because that's another example of when fucking dudes, uh, only the younger version of him showed up. CGI. All right. And then he goes on that basically saying, yeah, so he sees. So his problem is they were played by stand ins and not their older, the older ladies, even though you can read an article that says fucking Sean Young was like training the stand in lady to like help her with her walk and stuff like that. And why would you have Carrie Fisher on set of Rogue One? Like, how is she going to help with the fucking CGI process of young Princess Leia? She doesn't look the same Mm. anymore. She doesn't sound the same anymore. I mean, she really Mm. doesn't now, but I mean, like then was she even alive back when that was filmed? I don't even know she was she was but what could she have added to that scene like yeah. this guy doesn't I, I think like this author would have his mind blown to know like how movies work you don't fucking get a hollywood actor on set <laughs> if you don't fucking need them on set they cost money like you don't just go like hey let's get carrie fisher in for the day and then we'll completely replace everything about her in cgi like why would you do that? There is no part of Carrie Fisher's face that looks the same at that time than what she looked like when she was young. It's not like Robert Downey Jr. or those other actors where, like, you know, you remove some of the wrinkles and stuff and they kind of look like they used to. Like, Carrie Fisher looks completely different. Mm. And this isn't something about, you know, the way men and women age or whatever. Like, there's female actresses who who look kind of like they used to look when they were younger. They're older or whatever. But, like, Carrie Fisher's mm. face is different. Like, she does not look the same. She looked like Carrie Fisher in the 90s, was, you know, like in Austin Powers and stuff. She had, like, a little cameo, and then in um, Jay and Silent Bob, Strike Back. I remember there was that scene with her playing a nun and stuff. And in those movies, I was like, yeah, she still, she looks older, but she looks like Carrie Fisher. Whereas by the time they got around to filming Rogue One, she does not look the same. I guess this guy would be totally blown away to learn that sometimes when you see a close-up of a hand in a movie, it's not actually the actor's hand. Like, ah! They used to fucking stand in? Oh, how come men always get to play their own hands? But but to women, they use a stand in? Like, ah! like, what a fucking idiot! What a fucking idiot! Like, 
You don't, you would like, I'm going to pay today for fucking Robert Downey Jr. to come in on set so that we can do a close-up of his hand. Like, fuck you. Like, this dude doesn't even understand movies. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it's so fucking crazy, isn't it? i got to stop reading these reviews, Andy. These guys are just a bunch of morons. It's uh, ridiculous. I, I, just, I don't know. There's just these, play me a song. Play me a song, right, Marco. Right. Well, uh, Mitch Murder's got an awesome... Uh... <laughs> Hey, man, just take it easy, all right? It's going to be okay. Uh, Mitch Murder <laughs> has brought out a new track uh, just on Halloween. Uh, I really like it. It's a darker track, of course, and it's called Taken. It's a free download on SoundCloud, too. Sweet. Well, let's go check it out, man. This is Mitch Murder with the track Taken.
And that was taken by Mitch Murder, Marco's second pick of the week. Okay, I'm done ranting, so this is your segment, so you tell me something. You sure? I've got a couple other things. <laughs> wow, yeah, I just, uh, Hollywood's kind of uh, on the down at the moment, I guess, with all this uh, stuff that's been coming out. Yes. The latest one is uh, bloody... Uh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. Uh, and that was his response. I just can't believe it. Hollywood man, honestly. And he comes out, uh, and then he comes out, oh, well, yeah, I might as well just come out and tell people I'm gay now. It's like, oh, well, oh, now you're a protected class now, are you? Oh, well, that that makes it okay. What a fucking pathetic piece of shit. <laughs> Why are you telling us this? Now you're making it, like, you're making excuses now? Like, what is going on with you? Like, it's fine if, you, if you're bisexual or whatever. Who gives a fuck? But, like, why are you bringing all this up in the apology? Like, it's just- it seemed like it was a really poor attempt to, like, deflect or something. Like, it no, was I just sort of... Because he's not was- denying it. He's not admitting it, and he's not denying it either, though. That's the thing. Right. It's kind of like, well, I don't remember. So, I mean, how drunk... Apparently, he carried him to a bedroom. I mean, you're obviously not that drunk if you can carry someone, you know, and not fall over. I mean... Drew? I think he's full of shit. But, look, I don't know. I wasn't there, but I've been drunk, very drunk before, and I remember if I do something stupid, you know. And and, and the thing is, most normal people, the stupid thing you're going to do is, like, you wake up and go, like, oh, fuck, I smashed some mailboxes, or I threw up on the floor, mm. or I, you know, I peed on someone's house, or something yeah exactly it's, it's not gonna be like i went on some fucking rape rampage you know what i mean like that's no, not what you're gonna wake not. up to so obviously when these people even if they use i don't remember doing it as an excuse you got to be like well what sort of life are you leading where that is something that you would do just by being drunk i mean like yeah clearly you know there's people who, who are fucking weirdos yeah you know it sucks that there's the uh, you know these women who have to work and be uncomfortable all the time that like dudes are mm-hmm. fucking being inappropriate. At the same time, I'm hoping that oh, God, it's a damn touchy issue, but it's like it is. It is. I mean, I'm hoping there's a distinction between actual bad behavior, legal behavior, and dudes not picking up on social cues as easily as other people. Like, you know, if, I, if I've ever, like, tried to hit on a girl who wasn't into it, I'm capable of reading the scene and going, yeah. okay, she's not into it, I'm gonna back off. But I've never been a really pushy dude, so I would never be the type no, of dude... I've never been like that. I don't like making people uncomfortable. No, no, no. Like, And I can tell, and you can tell when you're making someone uncomfortable, so you have to be a certain yeah. type of guy to... To fucking make a girl uncomfortable, know she's uncomfortable, and continue doing yeah. it. Like, for me, I'm the kind of guy that the girl's got to fucking... You know, all my life, I, I was always so... Uh, maybe it's a lack of confidence or whatever, but, like, the girl had to do everything. Like, she had to make the first move. She had to, like, make sure things were cool and stuff before anything happened. Mm-hmm. So I would never be in the situation... Like, I, I, could, I could hit on a girl, and I could say nice things, but if anything was going to happen... It would, it would have to be the girl yeah. who would do it, which is why nothing ever happened. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because like, I could never, like, because I could never take charge. Like, that's not the kind of guy I am. Hmm. But, you know, if you're some fucking creep in a position of power, yeah, then they, they deserve to be that's fucking terrible. taken down because that sucks. Like, I've only been in a few situations where I felt, like, uncomfortable in that way. Mm-hmm. Never usually with women, though. That's the thing. Like, I mean, there have been women <laughs> who, I, who I haven't been interested in who mm-hmm. liked me but they never made me feel uncomfortable like I never felt like I was unsafe but I know what it feels like to feel unsafe mm-hmm. whether it be you know you're walking in a weird neighborhood and it's late and you're kind of you know like I get into those sorts of situations and I don't like the way it makes me feel and so if there's women who 
who feel that way, you know, on a daily basis, like physically unsafe because they're surrounded by creepy dudes, and that sucks, and that's something that's got to fucking stop. Um, I just hope that there's no dudes that get taken down because, like... Wrongfully accused, yeah. 15 years ago, he looked at me funny, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because I've, I've read a few where it sounds like I'm reading it going like, is this sexual harassment or just harassment? Like, I remember, because I, I think they were trying to take down the brother of Weinstein because he kept on trying to ask this girl out, who was one of the producers of a show. And they refer to it as sexual harassment, but I'm like, what makes it sexual? Like, if, if you, is it just, if you if you ask somebody on a mm. date, it's sexual because... The five-second rule, the eye contact rule, remember? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, though. I'm, so I'm, I'm just curious about the semantics. Like, to me, if you pester somebody to go on a date... That's like regular harassment, right? Like, isn't it sexual harassment once you actually try and do something? Like, you try and fondle somebody or, like, or say comments that are sexually suggestive? But if you just say, like, hey, come out to dinner, and she's like, no, and then, like, every day you ask this lady out to dinner, I don't know if that's sexual harassment per se, as it is just regular harassment. Still bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Still, you still got to fucking read the room and go, hey, this chick doesn't want to do this, so fucking stop. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> well, I, I kind of glad. To, I, I don't know. I mean, it's for me. It's kind of. I'm a bit off Hollywood these days. I think, in uh, part of me, is really glad to see this shit coming out. And like, I mean, I'm sucks that it happened. First and foremost, you know, all, all this stuff. You, you don't want people to abuse power and sexual uh, harassment. All that is fucking awful, you know. So it, it is. It's really awful that this has happened. But on the other part, I'm glad it's coming to light. Um, and in a lot of cases, you know, I, I kind of a little bit off uh, Hollywood. A lot of the actors. A lot of the. Uh, People in power over there, I just think they're so pretentious a lot of the times. I mean, some of the award shows you just go, they're just becoming a fucking joke. Just this long five-minute speeches, the long five... I can't can't even watch them. Well, I don't watch it either, but I just see people, like, taking it down, going, like, five-minute fucking speech, and it's always going to be about politics, and they're all applauding each other, and it's like... It's like, all you guys are doing is fucking acting. That's it. You're pretending to be somebody else. (laughs) You're not saving lives. You're not fucking... And just their overinflated opinion of their own opinion, it just boggles my mind you know there's just absolutely no fucking modesty at all you know don't get me wrong this is generalizing you know of course there's a lot of uh, people that are uh, modest in that but I'm just saying a lot of the people that uh, a lot of them aren't yeah I like seeing them get taken down you know I kind of like that just because I think a lot of them are fucking pretentious assholes you know yeah if only if only that were the crime (laughs) yeah exactly right you know what I mean just like you know 15 years ago this man acted like a pretentious piece of shit to me and then like everyone's fucking online shaming him and stuff (laughs) Like, yeah, fucking pretentious prick. Hey, hey, but let's uh, listen. Let's listen to more music, man. Uh, All right. Well, uh, this one um, on a nicer note. This one I'm going to dedicate to my uh, sweetheart, Jazzy Mascat. This is a new remix from. uh, I actually don't know how to pronounce this name. I should by now. Mafalvin. Mafalvin. Mathelvin, I think. Mathelvin. Mathelvin. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. There you go. Sure. It's a new remix from them uh, of a new track called "Together at Last." by Digital Romance. This will be my theme song when I'm finally together with Jazzy. Together at last. So this is Together at Last, the remix by Mathelvin. I feel the friend 
And that was Together at Last, the Maythelvin remix. So who does the original version? Digital Digital Romance is a big group, yeah. Digital Romance, okay. Yep. Yeah, so that was uh that was cool. That was Marco's third pick of the week. Jeez, I told you I wanted to record a quick segment, man. We're No, no, it never happens, dude. We always got so much to talk about. And I love setting you up for these rants, man. I love it. <laughs> I actually look during the week. If something pops up in my feed, I'll be like, oh, Andy's going to be so angry about this. i got to mention it to him. <laughs> <laughs> because it pisses me off. And I, I mean, we're generally similar in a lot of things. And I'm like, I know it's going to piss him off too. So, Well, yeah, no, there's just certain things. I, I don't know why they, they, they get me so worked up. <laughs> when I read that stupid article about like the digital fucking yeah. women thing, it's like, <laughs> What a fucking problem. And dude, when I read the Twitter comments, because I, I had to, I, okay, I got to look up this fucking idiot, like and see, because he's got a Twitter account. <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> he posted the article and literally all the Twitter comments were just like, dude, what, what is this embarrassing article? Like, take this down. There's even a lady who's like, you know what? Women have like serious problems in the world. This is not one of them. One dude's like, the author's trying real hard to be woke. And that was perfect. Like when I saw that comment, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what this dude's doing. Like he's trying trying to seem like look how fucking progressive and woke i am to like society's problems i'm like dude pick a fucking serious problem then like if you're gonna like you know proclaim to the world how fucking quote woke you are like at least pick something that's a value than like oh the poor women being fucking digitally de-aged like fuck you (laughs) fucking goof if all the women all the problems women face eh? that's the that's the one (laughs) i mean come on like literally uh, amidst amidst like literally finding out that there's these fucking producers who are like serial fucking predators man that like people knew about Mm. behind the scenes and were just like wow like don't go into that guy's office and even the jokes you know that that become commonplace i mean you know just as common as the the joke about you know going to prison and not dropping the soap is that there's jokes about the fucking casting couch like women like that's a joke like you know you want the job you gotta fucking blow the producer like that's just a running joke about movies and how fucking sick and sad is that that there's fucking dudes who are just like I'll cast you if you have sex with me like it's fucking horrible and and that's just a joke because it's like such a commonplace thing that it became like just a, a you know so that's a, that's a real problem and fucking the two instances in movies where ladies got to be digitally de-aged is not a problem and not only that but the the idea that like women don't get to return to their franchises like when they're older like what about fucking Sigourney Weaver and fucking aliens what about the fact that they're making Terminator 6 like with Linda Hamilton what about fucking Jamie Lee Curtis she returned then for Halloween HTO and now I think they're doing a sequel pretending the other movies didn't happen and she's returning again so that's fucking three examples off the top of my head where ladies who were older got to return to their fucking franchise so fuck this guy like the dude doesn't even have a point anyways let's uh let's stop because uh, w- this was supposed to be a yeah. short segment and now it's going to be longer than the interview i did <laughs> sorry today. lou no 80s this week mate i know you'll be listening so <laughs> sorry buddy but i hope this will give you enough energy to for that jog that you that, that marathon jog that you do uh, i'm sure it will let the anger flow through you buddy <laughs> <laughs> Lou, keep on jogging, buddy. Keep on jogging. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're wrapping it up, are we? Yeah, do you want to end on a track? Okay, well, if that's the case, why don't we play this uh, upbeat track? Um, I don't actually know the original, but this is Kasha Sick, I think, with, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that name, with White Noise. But this is a 4A DeVin's 1988 edit. Uh, it's just been uploaded recently, uh, and it's fucking amazing. 
Yeah, Four A Devin. It's weird. I never played tracks from them, but he's like they they have one track that I listen to all the time on SoundCloud. That fucking uh, yeah, that chorus is so good. Oh God, Christ, that fucking song! Like I've listened to it so many times. It's anyway. All right, so uh, this is uh, I, okay. So I I think that's Kaja. I, I'm gonna say Kaja Seek. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. I'm gonna say it that way, but you know that could I could be wrong. But uh, yeah, so let's fucking play mm-hmm. that, man. This is Kaja Seek. Uh, with the track White Noise, and this is Foray Devan's 1988 edit.
That was Kaja Seek, uh, White Noise, with the track White Noise. Kaja, that's K- uh, C-A-J-S-A-S-I-I-K. And that was 4 a Devan's 1988 edit. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I say 4 a Devan because it's uh, French, I think. Maybe it is 4A Devin. I don't know. I'm going to say 4A Devin until I'm corrected. I'll just say 4A Devin. Fucking nice. I give up on for my French pronunciation, Andy. Their language is really out there. <laughs> so. Anyways, man, uh, thanks right. uh, for playing that song. And uh, we're going to go now. All righty. And this short segment turned out to be a long segment. So, uh, yeah. Always, that always happens. All right. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me on the show. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And I'll see you all next week. Keep it real and keep it 80s. See ya. (laughs) All right, and that was Keeping It 80s for another week. You know Marco, he's a cool guy. I got pretty worked up today. I don't know what that was about. (laughs) Maybe I'm a little high strung. Anyways, uh, thank you all for listening to Beyond Synth. Tune in next time. Uh, remember, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Andy Last on Twitter. Don't forget to like the Beyond Synth Facebook page. Uh, check out the Beyond Synth uh, SoundCloud page. Check out the Beyond Synth YouTube page. And if you want to help support the show, check out the Patreon. Jesus Christ, it's like fucking 50 websites. And that's not even all of them. Oh, because there's an Instagram. There's a damn Beyond Synth Instagram, too. So, uh, yeah, lots of stuff to, to do. Uh, and that's all I have to say. So you guys have a great weekend. Maybe we'll end on a track. And here's an appropriate one. This is Data Stream. Uh, he sent me his new album. Jeez, I hope it's out. <laughs> I'm really bad. People send send me pre-releases and then they just go into my playlist and then sometimes I think I accidentally play tracks too soon because I just never pay attention to, you know, they'll say like, don't play this till November 1st and then like I will uh, just play a song in like September and be like, oh fuck, I shouldn't have done that. So, hey Data Stream, I hope your album's out. But this is a, a fun song and it's uh, kind of appropriate for this episode with Funk Fiction because this one reminds me of something out of Sonic. Uh, I think in this uh, album, Midi City by Data Stream, he's using a lot of those sounds that sound like they're from a Sega Genesis. And this track could literally be like a Sonic uh, track. So I think it's an appropriate way to end this show. So here is Data Stream with the track Groove Template. And I will talk to you guys next time on Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. And this is Data Stream with Groove Template.